Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. everybody and welcome to History and Technicolor. This is me, David Crowther, and this is... Me, Wolf O'Neill. Fantastic, two of us. So, this week, the episode is on Das Boot. <laughs> now, that's, why, why is that funny? That's my best German accent. No, but you're still doing the, the accent. Das Boot. The, uh, there was, when we were young, there was a, a thing on telly, a drama on telly, called When the Boot Comes In, and the song was sang. It had James Bolan in it. Okay. Very Geordie. And the song at the beginning was, We shall have a fishy on a little dishy. We shall have a fishy when the boat comes in. Slight, that's an attempt to the Geordie accent. So I can't say that's bought without thinking of James Bolan and when the boat comes in. I see. Quite a long story. Well, now that's we? been explained. Thank you. Thank you. You feel a lot better than about that. Good. So, that's bought. Why, Wolf, I hear you ask, did I propose this movie? Is that what you were going to ask? That's exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> Spooky, isn't it? It's almost as though we have notes. So, I can't remember where I saw it first, but it must have been quite early on, because, you know, I'm quite old. The TV series was absolutely superb. I have a feeling I might have seen that first. Anyway, because okay. that was really good. Um, and then I have a feeling that there's a bit of a dark secret, which is beginning to emerge in the making of this programme, which is I th- have a thing about blokes on boats. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Master and Commander... Das Boot. Yep, well, that's two movies. Two, two that's movies. That's definitely a thing. <laughs> More than one thing is a thing. And, you know, they're two of my most favourite movies. Yes. Okay, so I'm a bit worried about that. And, of course, the whole submarine thing. I mean, the whole submarine thing is fascinating, isn't it? You know, the unseen killer, that angle, you know, ooh, nasty, nasty. And the then wolf packs? The wolf packs, eh? That's where I approve. Ah, now I know why you proposed that I should do it. You subtly managed to work that in, didn't you? And then the thing about being in a metal tin can, hundreds of metres under the water, very scary. The only thing my father did in the war, actually, was go in a submarine once, because he was a bit young for it, and he said he was petrified because he thought it was sinking, because apparently you get condensation. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Right, so, the film. Shall I tell you all about it, what it is? Yes. And then tell me which version you watched for this episode. Uh, right, well, I watched the 1981 version, uh, and I watched the two-and-a-half-hour-long one. The theatrical The theatrical release. release. Yes, not the director's cut. Not the director's cut. Or, God forbid, the longest version of the film, which is apparently 282 minutes long, which is a number so large, I can't actually convert it into hours. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, anyway, and that could be the version I took to my mate's house, actually, which I did not too long ago, saying, this is the best movie you'll ever see in your life, Steve. I took it along with a six-pack of beer, uh, sat on the sofa, he watched it, I went to sleep. Which was slightly humiliating, given the fact that nobody looks good asleep when they've had a couple of beers, and also I'd told it was the best film ever in the world. So, anyway, 
Uh, Just but, let you know how long it is that you got through all six beers and then <laughs> fell asleep and it was still going. Actually, no, there are only. I think I only got through half a beer. Anyway, it was uh, based on a book by Lothar Gunther Buchheim, who was also a war correspondent who went on a U-boat. How spooky is that? How spooky is that? Just like Werner, of course. I think I read the book. The only reason I think I read the book is that I have a text in my mind about the aircraft attack at Gibraltar rather than the film. Thing. Okay. So that's yeah. a bit spooky. Anyway, you know, you forget things. The author, it is fair to say, was not impressed with the movie, uh, which he thought he'd turned this anti-war book that he had written into an action flick, and therefore not as anti-war as the book. So that poses an interesting question, Wolf. Yes. What is the interesting question? Is it an anti-war film? Well, that is a good question. Not quite as good as the one I was thinking of, but then, you know... What's the one you prepared in advance that you're now lording over me with your preparation? <laughs> yes, that's a good point, actually. Um, is it... Actually, it comes from one of the articles that Hermione sent me. Hermione being a secret code word for somebody who listens to the programme. He sent me a couple of articles about Dust Boot. Is it possible for a film to be an anti-war film? Because inevitably, once you create a war film, was the point? You are glorifying war and making it exciting. So it is impossible to have a film that is an anti-war film, which describes war. I think it is possible to make an anti-war film, but the reason that they don't jump to mind is because they're so miserable to watch. Yes, no. So, for example, I know people have referenced us watching right. Come and See. Right. Which we've already talked about. It's insanely depressing, right. apparently. Right. Completely traumatising, right. as it deals with, I think, the Russian Western Front. Right. The most impressive anti-war movie I have ever seen, I have no idea what the name of it is, but it's about a victim of war... And all you are ever in is in the nursing home where he's being kept. And he has no arms, no legs, he cannot see. And I can, I've never forgot that movie because it's, you know, it's horrendous. You know, he's just him and his thoughts and all the rest of it. Don't know what the film is called, it, if anybody knows. It's haunting me because I know the title of the movie yes. because the footage from that film is used in Metallica's music video <laughs> for one. I cannot quite, I just can't quite compute that statement I can't remember I, I, that vicious anti-war film because Metallica used it I wish I could uh, <laughs> I wish I could play you the song so I could play you the no, bit where they're like but we're um, quite busy actually we've got to move on <laughs> where they're like take him out take him out hearing so glad I've never heard Metallica right okay, you can anyway. probably cut that it's probably not going to sound no no that's going to cut that's going to be staying He's no but I actually too. really like the song and I've just butchered it <laughs> you have just butchered it anyway anyway interesting questions and maybe if anybody can remember what the name of that film was uh, Hermione probably uh, knows everything send it in so where have we got to Lothar gone to Buchheim book didn't like the film the director was Wolfgang Peterson I don't know much about Wolfgang, apart from the fact that half of his name is similar to yours. Um, but his intro on Wikipedia Which was... part? The Peterson? <laughs> the Wolf okay, bit. Okay, yes. <laughs> so his intro on Wikipedia made me laugh, actually. It said he was nominated for two Academy Awards for World War II submarine warfare film Das Boot. His other films include... Which I thought was a delightful yes. ellipsis, which suggests that you don't really need to know about his other films because they're a bit, bit rubbish. Well, the thing I find most interesting about him is... If I look through all of his movies, I can see Channel 5's Sunday night 9 o'clock film programming right? going for about two or three months. I say this because they're always on on those channels. Is that right? Cheap, when I say they're great movies, yeah. I would say his career is not exceptional. Right. But there is something fun to be found in a lot of them. Okay. So Air Force One, I personally really like. Right? I really like Air Force do you, One. Do you listen to that just for, watch that just before listening to Metallica, or is that no, sometimes at the same time? <laughs> How can you not love Harrison Ford as the president fighting Gary Oldman? I quite like. I didn't know that that was Wolfgang Pierce, and I quite like. Yeah, that. that's quite fun. Films are yes. Outbreak is the one where Dustin Hoffman has to try and oh, stop I that, that virus. One. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I always um, like in the line of fire with uh, Clint Eastwood. You've got the right. perfect storm. And I never saw that. Yeah. See, I think you'd love it. It's basically... Yeah. Is that uh, one on the boat? Yes, yeah, the one where yeah. they all get on their boat and they yeah. have to go against the ultimate storm to try right. and bring yeah. the fish in. They've got Troy, you've got The NeverEnding Story. Troy, I saw that, which is a bit rubbish, wasn't it? And then they did a remake of The Poseidon Adventure. I right. Mean, just fine, but... Okay, not exceptional. It's a bit like Peter Weir, isn't it? You know, the um, Master and Commander thing. Yeah, but Peter Weir is... Peter Weir is very good. Right. 
and his his high peaks are very high. Okay, I think Wolfgang Peterson is kind of a right. He's like kind a of a, he's kind of all right. I mean, I must admit, I thought um, I was putting him in the same category as I don't know Agadu and parts past the Duchy and all the rest of it, but that's <laughs> a bit mean, isn't it? Agadu. I, I think you do know he almost directed the first Harry Potter movie. Almost. Because he was so big. He, <laughs> he was so big a director. That's a bit like Robin, isn't it? Brave yeah, well, he, Robin. He almost fought the chicken of no, Worcester. He, he declined to make the film, is what I mean. Okay. So he was approached, because he was that big a director at I the see. time, that they I were see. like, we need someone to launch this right. franchise. Who's Wolfgang it going to be? Pearson and is. I think Wolfgang is just a competent director who was operating at the time and could be paid to kind of make any big budget movie. Right. Okay. Well, and we're rubbing things up. So I basically, you know him. I don't. I'm wrong. He's not <laughs> Agadu. I think is the what I take away with this. Right, the lead actor is Jürgen Proschnow, who is just thoroughly excellent. I always wanted to be, and probably still want to be. Anyway, he's absolutely incredible. He is all fantastic. the time, just so good. Anyway, uh, the story then. There's this sub right. It's a submarine, right? There's this sub right. <laughs> you sound like Wolfgang when he pitched his yeah. movie. All right, it's this boat. All right. Um, anyway, it's about a single mission of a U-boat in 1941. Um, I watched The Master the other day, who, of course, is Mark Kermode, uh, as you know, um, about how to win an Oscar. You have this programme on Teller. And it says it has categories that you need to be in in order to win the Oscar. One of them is the War, war as Hell category. And this film is in the War as Hell category. So it starts on shore with a great scene. We'll come to it later. Boat goes into Atlantic. Some hanging around. Gosh, isn't more boring. That sort of thing. Uh, then there's exploration of the life on the boat and the people are made real to us in a slightly gross way sometimes then there's a convoy they sink a few things there's a terrible scene of the drowning they're attacked scenes of destroyer attack which is really really good but we'll come to is, it is this selling the movie? Uh, I'm just giving you a description of the story I shouldn't be doing that I'm almost there they get ordered to the Straits of Gibraltar which is tighter apparently than a gnat's arse so though honestly their metaphor was a good deal less delicate than that wolf and I'm not going to tell it on national television well, we're not on national television, that so that's a good <laughs> point. But yes, don't tell us. I'm not going to tell you that. Um, I think it's fair to say they have some problems going through Gibraltar, the Straits of Gibraltar, but I should avoid plot spoilers from this point. No, I think I think it's they have some problems. We, yeah, we, yeah, we can. We can as we go them. into it, we'll detail what those problems okay, are. Right. Okay. Uh, it's nominated for six Oscars. It's in German with subtitles, which worked rather well for me. Uh, it was very quite enthusiastically reviewed, unlike the reaction to the book which had a strong element of people in Germany saying it wasn't like that, really, in the war sort of thing. What is the film about, Wolf? Well, put me on the spot. I like to do that. It feels obvious to you say... You know I'm going like... to ask you that. Yeah, I know, Come but... on, prepare. <laughs> What's it about? It just it feels obvious to say that it's about, like, like you say, the war is hell angle. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That seems fair to me. I must admit, I struggled to come up with anything other than that, apart from the same old thing of, uh, you know, so war is hell, the unfairness of war, and the common man thing. There's a lot about that. Uh, but there's also, you could claim it the same as Master and Commander, that it's about companionship. Uh, I, th- I think the main point is that, and it's not necessarily what is it, what is it about, but the main aim of the movie is to create the most realistic depiction yeah. of submarine warfare, like a technical goal. Technical goal, I think that's absolutely right. I think it's also, though, to strip away a fig leaf of history. And maybe that's what the movie is really about, the purpose of the movie anyway, is, as we'll come to, is to strip away a mistaken belief, or a a belief that in Lothar's view was mistaken. Or at least present an alternate... Yeah, indeed. An alternate fig leaf. A bit of... Yes. Although, could you tell the difference between two fig leaves, you know? I've got some fig leaves outside, should we see? No, because now, now I feel like this is a trick where I come out and you're weighing just a fig leaf. With, it's like an eye test. That would be too horrible. Uh, is is you these fig leaves different? Sorry, I'm just going to have to use the thick bag. We keep it here for just these circumstances. Right, OK. So, the film as a film, what did you think of it, Wolf? Had you seen it before? Yes, I've seen it <clears throat> a number of times. Okay. And the reason How is... How many times? Four... Okay, substantial but not lunatic. I think <clears throat> the reason it's always... I feel like I've seen it more times than I probably have because my dad or a friend's dad or someone <laughs> else's dad is always watching what it. What about your brother? 
Yes, but we would usually be watch if we were going to watch it. We'd probably end up watching it together. Huh. I just the amount of times you go over on a Sunday lunchtime to right. play at your friend's house and dash boots on, <laughs> and they're like, "Come and sit down, kid," and you're like, "Oh, okay," and then. Then you then you have to watch it for a while. So it's a bit like Master and Commander. Then is the impression I'm getting. It, it's this. It's a staple movie, um, that I feel a lot of a lot of young boys in particular are shown specifically to be right. like, you should watch this film. <laughs> what other films have been like that? It's quite interesting well, you, discussion. Actually. Should we have that separately you, another time? You said Lawrence and yes. maybe what did you say? The Battle of Britain. Yes. Huh. I think. Boot, in terms of the war movies, because it's kind of a war movie thing, I guess another example might be, I don't know, like The Searchers, maybe somebody would... Yes. There's a few of those westerns, or Shane, something Ooh, like that. Oh, what's that one with The Wild Bunch? Pretty good movie. Pretty good movie. Anyway, uh, okay, so, so you've seen it many times. So it was on, and I was well aware of it long before I actually sat down and watched okay. it for myself all the way through. Uh, it's, it's just an absolute classic. Right. So you Fa- like it. Fascinating, yeah. Right, and you're fascinated by it and interested in it. Right. Okay, and, and even its, le- its length isn't, doesn't really put me off. No. And I was actually disappointed that I had to watch the theatrical version this time because I'm pretty sure I have the director's cut yeah. on DVD somewhere and I wanted to, was happy to watch the three-hour-plus version. What is 282 divided by 60? It's between four and five, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's over... So it actually five. makes Dances with Wolves look like a sort of... You know, has you know also ran. Well, the director's cut is over three hours, right. isn't it? <coughs> one hundred eighty minutes, I think, or right. one hundred eighty-nine minutes, I think, okay. is the director's cut. It's a two hundred eighty-two minute version, apparently. Okay, so you like it? So, I love it overall because it has an incredible feeling of realism, a sense of claustrophobia. It's very earthy in its depiction of life. Where you like earthy things, as you like said before, things. young boys love earthy things. <laughs> uh, where fifty people, you got fifty people sharing one toilet, for example. This is why you love the movie. I love a movie where it's really claustrophobic and lots of people have to share a toilet. There are some amazing images, such as uh, Johan, the mad engineer at his post, you know, with the light uh, and the noise of the machines and his sort of drawn... He has some of the most captivating eyes ever put to screen. Just amazing. As he stares up, as if he could see through to see what's happening above. Absolutely amazing. Uh, He's fantastic. It has a fantastic opening. I think and the opening really gives you a whole load of themes of the whole movie because it's this wild party on shore before the mission begins. The camera's constantly moving around this party, so you kind of feel as though you're part of it, and it ups the sort of the wildness, but also the sense of desperation. You know, it's dripping with desperation. There's this hero called Thompson who is always referred to throughout the film as this kind of heroic uh, submariner. And there he is in the toilet, lying in his own puke, pressure completely on him, you know, the kind of life that he's leading, that they're all leading. Right from the start, we know what kind of movie we're in. It's, it's going to be realistic, it's war as hell. And the other theme, that the Nazis were others. Not like the good, honest submariners of uh, the Navy. It's the lions led by donkey story. You know, there's a one shiny-faced Nazi youth officer kind of thing, and he's very different throughout. He's treated as different. Although I, I think it's clear to say right from the beginning, I think the suggestion is not that there is a divide in the army, but a divide between those who have fought and those who have not fought. Mm. The idea being that once you fight for long enough, you lose your faith in the Fuhrer. Yes. But I think that would apply yeah. to almost any military, to be honest. Yeah. And actually, in a way, this is, this is part of the myth that gets attacked, which I'll come to later. But I absolutely agree. Werner is this propaganda chap, and we, he's the narrator, and he's on board to take some pictures. And that's very useful, because it allows that narration, it allows the captain to explain to him what's going on. And also, we kind of follow him a little, because he starts off being, again, an other, very unpopular, and he begins to get part of the life of the boat in the same way that we do, in a funny sort of way. Um, and at the beginning, it's almost documentary because he's saying, and here is, you know, here are the bunks and here is the X, Y, and it, it allows them to introduce the boat. Um, and they go through the boat with handheld cameras again, which works really well. Did you really love that all the food looks like it's plastic? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all hanging up in the... Uh... It's like a giant version of those little kids like Playmobil sets yes. where they all have all the plastic uh, cutlery and the plastic uh, <laughs> bread and stuff. 
Um, maybe probably was passive, wasn't it? Anyway, um, the boat itself is a character throughout. It's kind of like this martial mother figure, figure constantly needing to be helped and fixed, and it's falling to pieces a bit, but provides life for everybody. It's kind of their. It's almost like they're in a womb. Uh, wolf and when the the conning tower is open it's like emerging from the womb do you want me to stop this slightly gross no i'm just wondering where you're going with it that's it really this is what's the torpedo like david don't talk to me like that That, oh god (laughs) i don't know what is the torpedo like i don't know Hmm. you started you answered the question uh the sea is also a furious enemy and a very much part of it you know wild implacable um and it felt to me like a lot like the Cruel Sea, from kind of the other angle. You know, I don't know if you've seen the film, The Cruel Sea, but it is them against the elements on these Arctic convoys. It also feels a little bit like the second half of Jaws. Does it? Second to me, it does a little Jaws, bit. Yeah. You know when they, they set off set off on the boat, and it's yes. just the three of them versus the, the deadly shark, yeah, yeah. and they set off on their own, and if the ship goes down... Yeah, they're doomed. They're yeah. all dead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the Allied enemy is... Is also other. It's unseen. It's menacing. You don't you don't get to see them, and that brings across, I think, that sense of separation very clearly. You know, there's no opportunity to meet except in one scene. Um, but it is important as well because I think maybe the point that's being made is that in Allied war movies, made by the British, for example, yeah. or Americans, quite often the German opponent is othered, and we don't have an opportunity to connect with them. Yeah. So it puts that back yeah. on us to receive it from the other end. I think that's right. I mean, I think, I can't remember when I was going to say this, but I think a German war movie, from our perspective, it helps us watch a war movie without patriotism getting in the way because, you know, we don't have to identify in that way with it. And actually, that's quite handy. Um, it allows you to see things in a different way. Tension scenes are just amazing. What was the most tense scene in the whole thing? It's going to involve a toilet, isn't it, David? No. Um, oh, oh, <laughs> this is a genuine question. Well, there isn't an answer. By the way, did you you know when there's that, when they're all waiting and they're really tense and that guy's urinating into that cup? Yeah. I was definitely certain the the sub rocks all of a sudden, but you never see him yes. again. And I do not want to know what happened. <laughs> well, also there's one very odd scene actually, fair enough, where they're also under great pressure, and he goes. You see the narrator go to the toilet. And he waits, and Johan comes out. And I have no idea what that scene is about. Is it completely irrelevant? He, he wouldn't, if you wouldn't miss it at all if you cut it. Now, how much did you like when that guy runs out of the bathroom, his bare bottom right in front of the camera? <laughs> well, there's the scene... I thought of you when I saw it, David. <laughs> if, we're on, if we're on bottoms, aren't we on bottoms? If we're on bottoms, there's the scene where they're going for their medical inspection for <laughs> crabs yeah. from the shore and all the rest of it, and you've got these rows of blokes with naked bums while the guy looks at their... You know, equipment. Anyway, should we move on now? Yes. What was, the, what was the most scene. tense scene in the movie? It's, well, the most tense thing I've experienced is this conversation right now. Um, <laughs> you wait until it goes out. <laughs> gosh. Um, I would... I think it's probably... I think the depth charges is way more tense than maybe when they sink later mm. on. And it's probably the first time you hear the sonar detector. Yes. That's very good, the ASDIC. That's amazing, isn't it? I did actually ask if that is how it... If you can actually hear it in real life, and apparently you can, they're not quite as distinct as they make it in the film. And that's incredibly tense, isn't it? Because you get the sound and it's getting closer and faster and faster, and then, you know, the world erupts in explosions. Very good. Uh, Superb way of building tension. I think, I mean, I agree. I think that scene 17 minutes long where they're being chased by the destroyers and in the middle you think you've escaped is almost unbearable with the 17 minutes and it's a release when werner goes to bed because he can't stand it anymore and he just goes to bed even though the world is in erupting around them and then you wake up and it's all quiet and they've you know they've escaped absolutely fantastic scenes so scenes under the water are brilliant when the rivets start popping up because of the pressure so you've got the bombs you've got the worry of the pressure how deep can they go it's just amazing it's fantastic the use of light is brilliant i thought i think yes the lights go off constantly and they change color as they're using red to get their eyes used to the darkness and that sort of thing um and it's very effective because that helps change your mood um, and reflect your mood and the use of silence is really good especially yeah. in those scenes 
when they know that they have to be quiet, all the all the men become quiet, and then you just have to listen to the sound of the sub creaking, yeah. the pressure altering, the sonar, and you just have to wait with bated breath to see what's going to happen next, and then it obviously explodes in the depth yeah. charges, etc. The and the characters are great too. Um, <clears throat> you know, the captain is is brilliantly done. He's reliable and everything you want a captain to be but at the same time he's realistic you know they haven't made a hero out of this or an impossible hero out of this man so uh, the film for me was fantastic we loved it for all those reasons um there are two bits which make me laugh only two bits only two bits okay uh there are two big problems that should i say similar in to the um to the line bucket one is the conning tower scenes i find a bit difficult because i saw a how to make this movie program where you see them all standing on the fake conning tower together. Yes. And it, it's kind of spoiled that a little bit. The other thing is, okay, they're in Gibraltar. They're, they've been ordered to go through Gibraltar. The captain has got the chart out on the table. They've got the light on looking at all the captains are looking together and he explains what he's going to do. And, oh, brilliant captain. All the rest of it. And he, we have to go through and he draws a line on the chart with his pencil, a little arrow. <laughs> what did, he's got this fantastic chart which is probably very valuable he's not going to get replaced draws a line they all know which direction they're going to go oh. apart from that it's a brilliant movie any other thoughts about the movie do you I, accord do you agree no I would agree I think that the well we'll kind of go into a few of the later scenes like the scene when they, they rest in Gibraltar is really significant yeah it's very good yes I was debating whether it feels more like a disaster movie than a war movie. Hmm. I did. I mean, to me, it felt like a felt very much like a war movie. I have to say, but I know um, that it is. I just think maybe it's the second half. Yeah, at the bit where when they, they're on the they they say, okay, this is what our mission's going to be. Then it goes wrong, and then you get a really extended period mm. of time where it's a life or death situation, but not at the hands of of an enemy. Yes, at at the hands of nature. Yes, it is that old problem-solving thing, isn't it? How we get to escape from this predicament? Will they escape from this predicament? Yes, you're absolutely right. It feels very much like that. And I think it helps that it's not just continued <coughs> fighting. Yes. They, they give us one really good example of what combat would be like. Yeah. But then we can't have it happen again. Yeah. So we have a kind of an alternate yeah. scenario which is more about kind of a life or death struggle and the disaster has occurred. Yeah. And so the movie's kind of split in that way a little bit. And in a sense, I think what the movie is doing is presenting the whole war in the context of one mission. So you get all the elements. Because, of course, in 1941, um, the German Navy was still very on top with their U-boat strategy, although things were beginning to change. But in the film, there is a sense of declension, um, which is really not very accurate, because I think what he's doing is trying to chart in one thing the whole war, which is why, at the end, I think you get the raid and the final catastrophe. Yes. Okay. As a historical record, then, well, here I have to reference Hermione again, who uh, sent me a couple of articles which are very good. Um, I think the boat and its technology are very accurate. Um, you know, I, at no point did I really come across anything that says, oh, they got this wrong, they got, they got that wrong. Well, didn't one of the original soldiers on the U-boat, wasn't he working on the film set as an advisor. Yes, you're right. And they used all his original photos from when he was on the submarine the mm. first time. So they were able to recreate it from photographic evidence of the inside of the sub yeah. combined with his memory. Yeah. So I get the impression, because we were talking about the technical aspect of it, yeah. that as much as possible the submarine is meant to be perfect. Yeah, and it, I, you know, it's they do a really good one. I think all the, all the argument about the historical nature of the movie actually is more about the historiography than it is the kind of clips on the helmets type conversation of was that the right thing or not. The film is pretty accurate to the book. It's not the whole book and nothing but the book because the book's much longer, but it follows Buchheim's book quite closely. Um, there are some scenes which are cut out, one of which sounds like a shame it was cut out with a Spanish passenger ship where in the book, the submarine was just about to sink the ship. 
uh, and then they realise it's it's a neutral and it's a passenger ship, so they don't. But the captain admits that if he had torpedoed it, he would have had to have then killed everybody in order to make sure that nobody knew what happened. So that, that's which is a very important bit about, which leads me into the historiography, that one of the reasons they wrote the book and they did the film was that after the war, the U-boat service kind of escaped the, the brand of Nazism, unlike the army and the Luftwaffe. It was thought to have fought a clean, honourable war and their achievements were still glorified. And part of that was to do with the publications of the memoirs of Admiral Dönitz after the war, who survived after the war and was um, a well-known figure. And so all the way up to 1973, that was the way the U-boat service was seen, as the elite service, which fought a clean, honourable war, away from the taint of Nazism, until 1973, when Buchheim published his book. So this doesn't shy away from some rather uncomfortable things. First of all, it's very... This is war with all its warts, you know, hence the scenes as we're talking about, with all, you know, the blow in the bow the common seamen are really pretty gross. They're misogynistic, their language is violent, there's a lot of infighting, um, there's all the stuff about the crabs. You know, it's pretty hideous. Um, so it doesn't shy away from that. Then there's the scene with the burning tanker where uh, they come across this burning tanker and they torpedo it to finish it off because they think there's nobody on board. But of course there are people on board, they start coming out, they're screaming for help and of course the U-boat disappears because it, I mean, it kind of has to. But for once, you you see you know the consequences of what's going on and the rather difficult decisions that they have to make. So, like the book, it gets this reaction uh, from some of the some elements in Germany that it wasn't like that. You know that the U-boat service was was different, and actually that leads on to my biggest objections to the film, actually. But um, I mentioned the one about the feeling of declension, which isn't very accurate, because in actual fact, in 1941, uh, the U-boat service was still very much on top of it in, on the Atlantic War. But you can see why he's done that, to try and describe the whole war. Um, but it presents this traditional story, still, of the separation between Nazism and the warriors, you know, as we've talked about. Um, and although, so while it rejects the Dönitz glory thing... Um, it perpetuates that other half-true that ordinary combatants are sort of innocent. Uh, very interestingly, there's one scene where there's a fly crawling over Dernitz's picture, which I think reflects the author's view about Dernitz's, you know, super clean elite service image. But for me, you're still left not with the idea that actually the U-Bet service was the same as any any other service, um, you still go away thinking there are these nasty Nazis and they were others. They really weren't like the real, good, true, clean people of the U-boat service. That's one of my objections. There is a, it's a very clear decision in the movie and it starts from very early on to distance everybody from the Nazis. Yeah. And to simply be a part of the Navy, a part of the the you know the the U-boats and they the suggestion is that once you serve you will become essentially uh, disillusioned with the yeah. beliefs of the Führer and the Nazis and it's duty and honor and integrity all those great things that especially we think about when we think about the yeah. British Navy that they believe in all the same things and yeah. there's a similar that, that code of honour, so with the burning tanker, mm. they're really furious at the British yeah. for not saving the people on the burning vessel. Mm. They feel that protocol has not been followed, and now they're in a situation where they have to deal with the, the guilt of war, yeah. and unnecessary deaths have been caused. You almost get this impression that their goal is to sink the ship but not kill the men. Yeah. And... Indeed. It's hard to... Yeah, it's hard. you can't have that separation, can you? And it's interesting that in a lot of the fictions and histories and memoirs of the Atlantic War from the Allied side, it's all about the vicious U-boats. How could they destroy? And, you know, it, it's, it's a completely different attitude 
I mean, of course, it's war, so... But. You're always going to be on the side of, who, <clears throat> of whoever's telling yeah, the story. So I think what's important about this is not to watch it and think to ourselves, no, we completely disagree, the, the Germans weren't like this, the U-boats did do this, they did do that. The Germans were trying to... If you, I know it's not the same war, but if you think about the sinking of the Lusitania and all this kind of stuff, yeah. these are moments throughout history that we always think about, and the impact that they've had. I think it's just trying to shed a certain amount of light on the humanity on the other side yeah, and give us an opportunity to watch a war movie where we're essentially rooting against ourselves yeah. and put us in that mind frame so we can actually think about yeah. what it's like to be on either side. And you... And you can, and it does that very effectively, I think. And and you recognise there's a lot of truth in that about people doing it for duty, for because it's their job. Fine. But I think it's quite easy to make this big separation, and I'm not sure that actually it's the real story, yeah. or certainly not in all cases. The second ob- objection is that is related to that this is a good old traditional lions led by donkey theme you know put the nazism to a side once it's the leaders are all blithering idiots it's the ordinary soldiers and seamen who are the people who do the right job so it's like the story we get about the first world war for example yep. um and i've always deeply distrusted that story because it is very easy, isn't it? Oh, it's all the blithering idiot officer class's fault. And we don't like them particularly because they're usually quite posh. And uh, it means that we can absolve ourselves of any blame and we all did the great job and it's those idiots up there. I've always disagreed with that story because it's really not true. So the First World War, for example, it's very clear there wasn't that great separation between officers and men. Officers were there in the trenches. Disproportionate numbers of them died. So it's, it's, a, it's a lie that basically, in my view, sells short the people who take part. The people on the U-boat, the people in the First World War, took part because they were fighting for something in which they believed, whether that's duty, honour, to defend their country. At the time, they all took part, or the vast majority of them, for that reason. By saying that they died in vain, that they were betrayed by this officer class, sells short their commitment to that struggle and the reason that they died. So, I mean, that's a personal thing. I've always hated this lions led by donkeys thing. I just don't think it makes sense. I don't think it stands up. I don't think it sells short the people who were involved at the time. But is it easy to understand why anybody might feel that way? That anybody out there fighting on the front lines could at any moment feel like they were being let down? Totally comprehensible, because, I mean, there always is that feeling, yes. isn't there? You, you get that feeling just going to work. You know, people say, oh, you know, stupid decision by the management, why have they done X, Y, or Z? And, of course, that's absolutely fine. Um, but my, my objection is that when it gets to the point where uh, you say that you're saying that these people have died in vain, that they had no point to their life, their lives were thrown away on something which made no sense... Well, actually, the people, whether they agreed with their lords and masters or not, actually, they took part because they believed in something. And we should not sell short that sacrifice. Slightly esoteric point, isn't it? I would say in this movie, even if that is maybe the overriding message that you're, you're correct in saying, mm. that the camaraderie and the, the bond yeah. that happens between the men on an individual level is what keeps them... Yeah going that desire to fight for each other that kind of yeah that, that it's not just to, for selfish reasons it, it's for the other people around them they're, yeah. they're all in it together yeah i know that's a common message but i'd say that one is strong in this film yeah i mean i totally agree i think it's a very clear theme of it and it's very convincing and it works very well and it adds the enjoyability of the film in the same way as it does in master and commander this isn't just a shooty but shoot em up type film it is about the western warp of the way the boat moves and works uh, and the tensions within it are beautifully described. I also think, and we probably can't comment on this, but we do have to factor in the fact that this is Germany reckoning with its own place in the war. These are German voices throughout. I'm sure it's mostly funded by the German film industry as well. It's their own commentary on 
the war from their perspective. Yeah. So maybe there are things that they have to change. Maybe there are values that they have to put forward, mm. which represent Germany at the time that this film was being made yeah. in, the, in the 80s. And say something for future generations. Say something, give people like some, a new way of looking back on things. Because we all have to kind of reconcile the things that our countries have done yeah. over the years. I think it's interesting that the author didn't like the film. And it may be that some of the strength of those themes about the historiography that actually, you know, we're kidding, we're kidding ourselves, that didn't come across particularly well in the movie, I think. I still think the movie is an anti-war movie to mm -hmm. some extent, but it's interesting that, that the writer thinks it... Yeah. They, it's taken away the true anti-war... Where he was writing to set right what he thought was a an attitude of how the Germans perceived the U-boat service. His motivation in writing the book was to set that straight and I don't think that you really get that in the movie in the to very strong way at all no um I did read that some people do believe that it's one of the kind of least pro-nazi branches of the German armed forces that was that was always what was thought um is it is it not thought anymore well the the author of the book is basically saying there's no great difference between the U-boat service and any other, that it's a volunteer service, actually, so people chose to fight. So he's saying that this the U-boat service has been glorified above all the other services with no great justification. So what I want to know is, do you think the film continues to glorify the U-boat service? I think it does. Yeah, I, I would say it does. Yeah. Without, with the exception of the odd little sim single light, the fact that life is earthy. Yeah, it doesn't make it's you not, want to go and be yes, in a submarine. It's not this perfect world where everybody's happy and everybody's having a great time. It actually absolutely addresses that one. And there's that little hint with the picture of Dernitz and the fly crawling over it. But apart from that, I think it loses a lot of that. So how do you feel about the fact that the, the actual history of that U-boat is altered for the story? It seems to me one of those entirely sensible things, doesn't it? You know, you can't... You've got to squish it in order to get a film in Good Lord, it's long enough. You know, So I think that's... I think that seems perfectly acceptable. Uh, so if we're talking about historical accuracy, then... It's, yes. For me, you know, technically it's really accurate. Um, it's very... It's pretty accurate about the war. It's pretty accurate about the book, with the exception we talked about. And that exception is quite important... You can understand why Lothar Buchheim was not keen on the film, because it, he does lose that sense that he had in the book, apparently. So, if you, I don't know how you weigh up the accuracy of the against historical events and against the book, but you know you'd rate it very highly in terms of its technical accuracy. Okay, so that's where I was on the history. We we'll mark it in a minute. Anything else about the film we should talk about? Uh, all I was going to say is that, from my understanding, the story is loosely based on U-96, which is the U-boat that they're inspired by, mm -hmm. and that does have a similar fate at the end, except when it's bombed and sinks in the sub-bay, it's been decommissioned, and all of the officers and men on the boat survived, right. and this was kind of as the war ended. Wait, are you saying the boat sinks at the end? Yes. What? I didn't see that bit. Yeah, of course, sorry, go. What? Isn't it the one of the most impressive scenes in the film? Yeah, it's very the, good. The, the effects, everything? Yeah. It is. How, how do you feel about it? So when you watch it for the first yeah. time, how did you feel about Gutted. that happening? Gutted. How did you feel about it? It's pretty yeah. traumatising. It's very interesting, isn't it, that all the, the patriotism about us versus them completely disappears. You know, I was entirely on the side of the... You know, when the destroyer almost kills and think, oh, oh, you know. I mean, you know. We're, we're such manipulable things, aren't we? So why do you think that the film is so in, enduring? That's a great question. I think it's, you believe it entirely. It entirely sucks it in. You entirely identify with them. These are real people going through real challenges. The environment that they're in is extraordinary and it builds the tension up brilliantly. And would you say that even with the few issues you had about it perhaps yeah. taking away the responsibility of some of the people involved, that its overall impact, both as kind of an entertaining film and as maybe a film that makes us kind of yeah. reevaluate 
our position in the war. Oh, fa fantastic. Really yes, good. I mean, you, you absolutely re you realise very quickly that this is the same for everybody. It fits four square in the war as hell category, doesn't it? You know, it's not about nationalities or winning and losing. It's just about can these people survive? And yes, I really want them to. I think it does help that they don't spend that much of the movie killing other people. No, that is true. And if I'm a usually small amount of time killing other people, which does help. And actually, the people they kill, of course, are something in a periscope. So for the most of the time, you know, it's a bit like playing Submarine Commander, the uh, PC game, which is great, by the way. Anyway, so why would I recommend anybody to go and see this film? Why would you recommend anybody to go and see this film? Would you recommend anybody to go and see this film? Yes. Yes. Simply, if you've ever wanted to know what it's like to be in a submarine, this is this is the one. Yeah, there's almost no point anyone ever making another submarine movie True. ever again. And Hunt for Red October. Why would you make a movie like that? Although, actually, Crimson Tide is an incredible oh, movie. I think I might have seen that. Yeah. But the brilliance about Crimson Tide is it's about the nuclear war, and the tension is not so much what's happening in the sub, but kind of the greater consequences. Right. It's, is it, have you seen it? Uh, I might have done. I certainly know the... Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington. Uh, well, it sounds good. Obviously, now you've got me. It's an incredible Dean, movie. Dean, oh, my Dean gosh. What am I talking about? Crimson Tide's a perfect okay, movie. we'll do that one then. Okay. And for me, um, it's just also just brilliant drama. And it's been quite an interesting film to watch in this context, actually, because it's been interesting to read about the historiography, which is interesting. So, should we mark it? Yes. Quality as a film, Wolf, on a score of one to ten. Ten being perfect, with one being perfectly rubbish. Are we both going to say... Are you going to say nine? I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to say. Uh, so, I would say nine, but if you aren't interested in war movies, or you think that three hours in a submarine is just not your cup of tea, <laughs> then, then honestly, I'd rank it so much lower. It's I, I would say that 15 minutes is at a party. You know, for 15 yes. minutes you're at a party, you know. It's quite a pretty so wild I, one. You know. I give it a nine, but if you think it's not your movie, then I 100% agree it's probably not your movie. Well, I wrote here nine, eight. No, no, nine. So I think I'm with you on the nine, because I, you know, perfectly happy with war moves. Historical accuracy? I think it's got to be fairly high, but not in the top sort of three. Interesting. I mean, technically it's absolutely accurate. It's not absolutely accurate to the spirit of the book, it seems to me. Um, so you have to take a bit it, off for that. Isn't it a little bit like Master and Commander, though, where mm, what you're saying is... Can't really give the, it a 10, yeah, because... Where you're saying the, the vehicle, the vessel that they're in, the world that they're in, yeah. is is really, really real. Yeah. But then every single thing that they do... Yeah. ...is... Largely a fiction, or not yeah. intended to be an exact... Uh, and, if you are correct in saying that it is... that it's attempting to reevaluate mm. history and present a new opinion it's maybe deliberately deviating from yeah. some facts perhaps yes I think it's deviating from a spirit so I think what I would say is we're clearly not ever suggest if we if, we, if I was mm. to say six or seven mm. I'm not suggesting that the accuracy of the boat is anything yeah. other than a ten yeah but just if we've got to weigh up everything yeah, it can't it can't thing. be right at the top should we go for a seven okay yeah okay seven it is okay before we go on the lost city of Zed Here's a roundup from social media and what everybody said about it. Wolf and David's roundup. They're the rootness, tootness cowboys in the wild, wild west. Wolf and David's roundup. Well then, the lost city of Zed. Hmm. I think the response is best summarised by the lost city of what? There were a couple of brave souls who loved it, Luke and Richard, which is great. But the biggest category, I have to admit, was the sort of never heard of it one, though most of you, it must be said, interested by the idea of watching. Unfortunately, the title of the film does rather open itself to the gag, Lost City of Zzzz. I had a mate once who was an IT manager, and he decided to do an internal newsletter, and he called it In Action. I begged him not to call it that. He went ahead. It was a bloodbath. Anyway, well done Harvey for winning the competition to get the gag in first. There was also a book corner there. People like Christine who loved the book. So it sounds as though the book's a strong recommendation. Go and read it. Although Anne warns against the bodily parasite content. And I confess, I've also found it difficult to feel any affection for bodily parasites. So sounds like a good warning to me. 
For me, overall, Penny nailed it really with the comment that the dialogue let the film down, though the wooden dialogue for me wasn't helped by the wooden acting from Charlie. But anyway, there you go. The prize, though, this week goes to Luke, who provided evidence that he is spreading the word about history and Technicolor. You didn't know there was a prize, of course, but there is now. So, spread the word. Another perfect roundup. Thank you, David. <laughs> How do you know you haven't heard it yet? Hmm. Great, thank you. Well, we loved it. was fantastic to have an opportunity to sleep on the sofa again with a couple of beers inside me. <laughs> no, I did watch it all the way through this time. So that was really good. I enjoyed watching that and uh, it's really good. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And that's goodbye from me and goodbye from me. Are you not entertained? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.